Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. Here we are right after Roland Garros. We're doing a Roland Garros French Open review. And to share this incredible Grand Slam review with me is my awesome co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hey, Philip. Hey, everyone. How's it going? How are you? I can't complain. I'm so glad we're actually in the same room again. That's a nice feeling. It is a nice feeling. So it's nice to be in the same room, nice to be talking about Roland Garros, and we actually didn't watch any matches together in the same room, but boy, did I watch so much tennis. I feel like I'm a little bit burnt out, actually. <laughs> it was a <laughs> That's lot. That's so funny. I feel the same way, but not because of too much tennis, just because of the hours. I'm thinking, oh my God, I have to do this again in like three weeks for Wimbledon. I'm going to die. Yeah, it was a lot. But is the time a lot better at Wimbledon? No. I think it's the same. About the same. Yeah. I think they're both nine hours ahead. Yeah, it's about the same. But it felt like so many matches, and, and it felt like a lot of people I didn't know enough about. And so I learned a lot of new names, and that was a lot of fun. But in this episode of our Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast, we are going to start our Roland Garros recap with fan favorite reports I received during the tournament. Although some of the content is a bit dated, I think they are excellent in providing specific player profiles. Let's listen to our fan favorite reports. Greetings, Tennis Bell Chronicles. Nicholas here giving your fan favorite report for Rafael Nadal. Let's face it, fans. Clay season hasn't been too kind to our Spanish bull. Yet our king of clay has come from behind and persevered to make his 12th Roland Garros French Open semifinal appearance, slaughtering Ken Nishikori in the quarterfinals. He goes head-to-head with Roger Federer, and this will be the 39th time the two have come face-to-face. Federer trails his head-to-head record with Nadal 23-15, despite winning the last five matches, specifically 13-2, on clay. I don't want to jinx it. I just want to let the energy flow and celebrate, come Sunday, Rafael Nadal as champion of the French Open. Hey everyone, it's Valerie with your fan fave report on Serena Williams. Well, lately I haven't seen much in press or social media on what's new in Serena's personal life, but Roland Garros is here, so let's talk about the French Open. Serena's first round against Russian Vitalia Diachenko was was quite a scary start to the year's second slam. Serena dropped the first set quickly and looked to be making quite an early exit. Venus had already lost her first round match, and a fun fact about that is Serena and Venus have never lost in the first round of the same Grand Slam tournament. So maybe this uh, somehow helped Serena will herself into the unprobable comeback in her first round match. So right when you thought Williams was back to business with her relatively comfortable second round win over Karumi Nara, Serena's nine lives ran out in round three when she found herself up against red hot fellow American Sophia Kennan who was also known as Sonia. Sophia seemed like a woman on a mission, blasting winners all over the court, and she seemed to have an answer for everything Serena tried. This was a short-lived tournament for Serena, who has been struggling with form and fitness, and this is Serena's earliest exit at a Grand Slam in five years. 
And it seems like Serena just can't have a Grand Slam without some controversial headlines. This year, it happened in the press rooms when Dominic Team was asked to leave his own interview so that Serena Williams could come in. When he went into the new press room, he was very agitated and said that it was a joke and then got up immediately saying, if she can do whatever she wants, so can I. I am very interested to hear more about that in upcoming news. As for Serena's presser, she said even considering she had pulled out in tournaments prior and wasn't, you know, let's say 100%, she still thought that this result was a disappointment, that she should have went past the third round. She was asked if she was glad she came, as she had debated not going at all, and she said she was glad she came. They also asked her if uh, she thought she'd be able to get in optimal shape in time for Wimbledon, and she said, I think so and I hope so. She announced she plans to probably take a wildcard entry to a grass court event and see what happens. Well, everyone, I guess we just have to wait and see what happens when the grass court season starts. And I have to believe if she can get a little more fit and her serve is going, Serena's always a force to be reckoned with at Wembley. Catch you next month. Hey guys, it's Crystal, back with another fan favorite report for Stefano Tsitsipas. Steph has started Roland Garros off very well. He has had two great first and second round matches against two fairly respectable people. He is still yet to finish off his third round match, so we can't see, or we don't know yet, if he's going to make it into the quarterfinals. But as the score is looking, he is two sets to love up so potentially he will make it through not potentially definitely will make it through alongside his playing tennis he uploaded a vlog this week this vlog featured fellow greek player maria sicaria who is out sadly of roland garros but this vlog basically or allegedly as the fans are taking it was him announcing his relationship to her I don't know if that's completely true. If it is, congratulations to them. They make a very lovely couple. But I guess we'll see. Anyway, Roland Garros is still going on. Steph has still many more matches hopefully to come. And we just wish them the best of luck. That's all, guys. Catch you on the next one. In this episode of our Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast, we're going to be talking about the top 10 highlights from Roland Garros. Yay. And of course, we have to start with the number one highlight, Rafael Nadal. Number 12. I can't believe Tying it. Tying Roy Emerson's all-time Grand Slams. That's incredible. I mean, I don't think people understand how incredible it is because we all are just kind of lulled to sleep by the fact that he just keeps winning it, right? I think Nadal's ability to dominate on clay is the single greatest achievement in all of sports history. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe not because honestly, there's actually a wheelchair singles um, tennis player who mm. I think has like way crazier record. I think she retired a while ago, but... Back in the day, I think she had a decade of like winning every Grand Slam match, like going undefeated for like mm. five years, 10 years, something. Um, however, like that is amazing. What he's doing is something, it's just so amazing. Yeah, I think compared to any other sport, tennis is knockout rounds. So how easy is it to be knocked out in any match that you're playing to even get to the final? 
every match you play is a risk. It's true. That's what makes tennis so dramatic, right? You just don't know who's going to win. Yeah, and I think for Nadal's sake, like everybody knows that he is so hard to beat that they must go in there with nothing to lose and literally throw everything at him, right? I mean, right. it must be so much harder to actually play someone who's not going to be using like a normal quote-unquote strategy they're just going to swing for the fences and like maybe that that's the reason why he's only lost twice is because he just happened. It only happened two times where someone swinging for the fences was able to actually like just pull it off that random day. Yeah. And maybe his level dropped a little bit in order for him to lose. Right. But I mean, he's never lost a final or a semifinal. <laughs> just insane. I have unfortunately never played on clay. I, so I don't know what it's like, but from what I've heard, it is incredibly physical. It takes so much time away. Your movement is compromised. It's a much slower, much more patient game. And yet somehow Nadal is able to use that surface as an advantage. How could that ever be an advantage for someone? Well, I think his game just happens to be perfectly suited for it. The margin on his shots and his stamina, his physical build, which is obviously a double-edged sword. It's part of probably the reason why he struggles, but it's also part of the reason why he's so dominant physically. Nobody wants to get into a, I'm going to out-athlete you or like out-endurance you. And I think it's a testament to how much he's improved as well. Even though you feel like, oh, it's just the same he's won 12, he's just the same person winning every time. But I don't think that's true. I think that he really has improved throughout the years. And that's the only way that you can keep winning a Grand Slam is if you keep improving because everybody else around you is improving. Tennis has improved. In the last 10 years, imagine how different tennis was 10 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Nadal has improved every year. Every year. It's that scary is how good he was before and now actually he had competition before and won and uh now it just seems like he doesn't have any i saw a major improvement i think in his backhand i felt like his backhand uh was even stronger and you know that's the go-to shot everybody's going to try to attack his backhand because they're <laughs> everyone's so scared of his forehand <laughs> So they're going to go to the backhand side, but I felt like he didn't have to run around his backhand as much to hit this incredible forehand. He hit a lot of winners on the backhand side as well, or really hard, deep shots on the backhand side. So I felt like that gave him even more of an edge. I also felt like he, he was stepping into the court more, allowing him to take away time from his opponents. Whereas before, you know, it was kind of a joke how far back he would stay <laughs> <laughs> to return serve. He still kind of does that, but not anywhere hovering near the baseline in order to rally in his shots. This year, I felt like he was right up on that baseline and moving in, taking time away from people and just just decimating them. So he had straight sets uh, all the way through, right? Uh, yeah, until I think uh, Goffon took one set off him, which uh, was maybe the round of 16 or the third round. That's like the best feeling that someone can have is that I took one set off Nadal. Yes. <laughs> it's not even like win, but not even get close. But hey, I, at least I took a set off of him. Exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, when I'm watching most of his matches, I feel like if they just get a game, they must be thrilled. Right, because most of the scores are ones and twos all the way through. Yeah. And he was just decimating people. He was 
so on point, uh, so quick around the court. It was stunning. Yes, a sight to behold. So Goffon took off one set, and we were thinking that uh, Dominic Thiem, who made it to the final, eventually lost to Nadal. We thought that he was really going to challenge him. Everybody was talking about how he was so much more improved. He's probably the great hope for Clay, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to you, but I the people that I had talked to, I I felt pretty strongly that calling uh, Nadal in four sets mm. against Team was good. After Team lost the first set, I actually started doubting that. I was like, oh, he's going to win in straight sets. So I was proud that Team got one set, even, mostly just because I was running around telling people, you know, Nadal in four. So I, I needed Team to get one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's rough, right? It's so rough. <laughs> And I feel like I've been thinking a little bit about how strong he is. Uh, I saw this ATP question and answer thing where they asked a whole bunch of players, you know, who is the fastest? And they all said Monfi. And they said, and when they asked them who is the strongest, I was surprised that almost everyone said Nadal. Oh, see, sometimes I always think of Stan. Right. No one said but that. But I think which of is Nadal surprising. as well. Or, or I, Songa. Yeah, so actually, one person said Sangha. No one said Hatchinoff. No one said... Um, Topotro. Yeah, I mean, what a forehand. But I think when you talk about f- pure physical strength, that's what everybody thinks about with Nadal. And I wonder if that's what it takes in order to win on clay at the level that he does. Because he hits through clay like Federer hits through hardcourt. I mean, he hits winners all day long on clay and it just seems like it takes so much power to be able to do that and he does it on both wings so it just makes me feel like part of this combination of he's got this incredible skill and deafness but he also has this tremendous power on clay and that's even though the the surface slows the ball down he is able to (laughs) speed it up to such a point that he can just take anyone out yeah and and the positions he's in where he hits these forehand winners are ridiculous. Right. So you're He's talking like footwork. falling off his back foot like three meters behind the right. baseline and he's ripping forehand winners off lines, you know, deep, deep. <laughs> it's he's he's insane. He is insane. And you know what actually I think isn't talked about enough that's so amazing? Is He's a natural right-hander. Right. Now, I know people talk about the fact that he's a natural right-hander, but, I mean, can you imagine training and becoming the, getting to the pinnacle of your sport, of your craft, and then, like, that's already hard enough. But to do it with your non-dominant hand, right? I can see, like, if I trained for years and years and years, Philip, with my non-dominant <laughs> hand, I'm going to get good enough. <laughs> but to be, like the best ever at something (laughs) with like a hand I can't even okay that might have been inappropriate but (laughs) sorry comedy hour over here in Valerie's corner explicit yes (laughs) Um, oops it's just to me that's just amazing and it also has so much to do with why his backhand is so amazing is because he has that right hand on that racket which is his dominant hand so it helps him get those angles that other people can't get. I do remember hearing an interview where he talked about his right hand, his obviously his backhand, his right hand being his strongest shot. All the power is there. 
and that his left hand is where he has more control and more finesse and grace, which um, I guess is, you know, kind of volleys and touch shots as well. That is interesting because I actually, I know for myself, I try to be ambidextrous in all sports. Mm. And what I find is when I am a natural right-hander um, and I have way more control because I have more coordination with my right hand. But when I like, a, when I play baseball, let's say, or if I throw a football with my left hand, I can throw, I actually have more power uh, left-handed, but I have more control right-handed. Mm, wow. So for me, it be, would be backwards of right. the situation that you said, he said, but then I guess we don't really know what he said technically. Anyways, that's just me. I'm nowhere near an athletic level of an adult. <laughs> but, um, no one is. That's the point. That's yeah. why he can do what he does. It also kind of makes the fact that Soderling beat him even more impressive, right? Because he was the one guy, not yeah. Federer. Well, wait a minute. Actually, didn't Djokovic, uh, Djokovic beat, beat him? I think in the quarters or yeah. something. Yeah, uh, yeah. The year that he won. Right. However, so those are the two I, I'm guys not really sure French. that I remember if Nadal was 100% healthy mm -hmm. that year. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, even if Nadal was healthy, Djokovic really is the only person that kind of has the game that can match up to scare Nadal probably on clay. Hmm. Um, but either way, he's still only going to do it one out of 100 times. Right. <laughs> and I guess uh, the fact, uh, the historical fact is that six other men have competed against against the Nadal. We should just put a the. <laughs> the Nadal. The Nadal. The Rafa. Uh, six other men have competed against him in the final and, of course, all have fallen. Yeah. I thought um, in talking more about how awesome Nadal was. I thought Dominic Thiem's comments about losing to Nadal were in order because I think he actually said, in quotes, he stepped on me, <laughs> that he had come from heaven because he was he had beat Djokovic in the semifinals and then he went to hell. Let's listen to him talking in this quote. The, uh, the beginning was unbelievable intense of the match. And uh, I dropped a little bit towards the end of the first set. Then I played the way um, I should play in the second set, very aggressive. But uh, still, I mean, I didn't make, I think I made only five points at, at the, in the return games. And I mean, four of them, obviously, at 6-5. Uh, and after these two sets, I dropped a little bit my level and I mean then Rafa who, who won this tournament 12 times he stepped on me and afterwards it got, got really tough for me. And here we can listen to a little bit of Rafa Nadal talking about winning and how he played. Uh, honestly Monte Carlo and the beginning of Barcelona as I said a couple of times have been tough for me because mentally I was not you know I was not enjoying uh, too, too, too much worried about the the health and uh, being honest, too, too negative. And uh, after the first round in Barcelona, I was able to 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 stay alone for a couple of hours in the room and think about it and um, think about what's going on, uh, what what I need to do. And that have been a couple of issues that I had to decide. No? One possibility have been stop for a while and recover my body and. And the other was change drastically my my attitude and my my mentality to to play the next couple of weeks and um, 
thinking a lot. Finally, I think I was able to to change and was able to to fight back for every small improvement that I was able to to make that happen direct. And since that first match against Mayer in Barcelona, I think the things have been improving every single day since today. And um, I played not bad in Barcelona the next three rounds. I played better in Madrid and I played much better in Rome. And here I played a great event. So, of course, these small things that I have been improving every single day and doing with the right attitude, doing with the... With the with the right passion, that's the only way for me to be to be back where where I am today. And of course, have this trophy with me means a lot. But personally, the personal satisfaction of change that dynamic is the the thing that I'm more more satisfied. So overall, Valerie, do you feel like it was a great final? Do you feel strong about the men's final? I do. I mean, I do. Uh, unfortunately, I really do feel like. Uh, Nadal playing Monday, Thursday, Sunday, and team playing four days in a row right. had an effect. Sure, gave him an um, advantage. Not that he even needed an advantage, right? Correct. But, I mean, I thought team was going to probably lose anyway. Um, all it did was make the last two sets just less competitive than they maybe would have been. Yeah. I mean, but we're just delaying the inevitable anyway, right? I mean, it must have felt great for team to actually win that set. I think he was 6-5 up, and for him to hold and break Nadal to win 7-5 must have felt amazing. Maybe even give you a sense of hope, but quickly diminished in yeah. the next set very <laughs> to quickly. go down very quickly. I think he was down 3-0 already in the third, yeah. and then eventually lost it 6-1, and then... The following set again, 6-1. I thought the first two sets were highly competitive and Dominic Team really kind of came to play. He really was giving it his all. And let's talk about Theme for a minute because I do feel like he has improved a lot. He said himself that he felt like he played better than last year because last year, obviously, he lost to Rafa as well. Let's listen to him talk about his improvement. There has to be a, a reason why he's that successful. I mean, he won 18 Grand Slams, um, which is which is a big number, which is only two less than Roger. So definitely, he's one of the greatest of all time. And uh, today as well, I saw why. Um, <clears throat> as I said, I I played very good the first two sets, and then I had a little drop, which is against most of the players not that bad. But uh, he. He took the chance and stepped right on me, and that that's it. I can only uh, only congratulate him and how amazing he performed today. So I do feel like some of the improvement that I saw in his game, while well, he was slicing so much harder and deeper on his backhand side and more consistently, so that definitely had to be an, a tactic for Roland Garros, not only against Nadal, but he was doing it against Djokovic, which I felt like is one of the matches of the tournament. It was pretty great and also very controversial. Yes. And we'll get into that as well. But his slicing and his drop shots had improved dramatically. He, You know what I like? His slice, his slice has like some weird spin on it. Right. Uh, that you don't see. Right. Um, it goes like crazy sideways away from wherever the player's like running from. Right. So it makes it even farther. 
Um, and he actually hit a few that Nadal couldn't get to, which is, you know, unheard of. I felt, I felt like when he was playing against Djokovic too, he was way more committed to the shot and he was trying to really swing out what much more than Djokovic, you know, Djokovic in general doesn't hit winners all day long, like Nadal or Federer, but he was really defensive a lot of times, just waiting for an error from Dominic team. And Dami was just hitting the ball, just going for it time after time, saving break points. And I felt like he deserved to win that match. He played that way also in the first two sets against Nadal, but it just didn't hold up as well against the King of Clay. It's true. I'm, I can't imagine what it's like to have to hit like 100 winners against somebody. He's just always there. And it's what you said too. He is always there. He is the greatest defender of tennis. I mean, I challenge anyone on that because his highlight reels are just insane. You feel like you've hit a winner. He gets that back. And then you hit the absolute perfect drop shot winner. Rafa gets it back with pace, with style, with grace. And just takes you out. And how deflating is that? It is. And I think also, which the greatest thing that Nadal has is his attitude. Yes. Even when you do get that one out of 50 points where the drop shot does work and he, and you're like, yay, I got the point. He does not let that bother him. He comes right back the next point, like even hungrier and just squeeze. He's like a snake you know just squeezing the breath out of you every time you take a try to take a breath he just constricts again right i heard um the statistic is 39 percent. isn't that right yeah 39 percent. He, he breaks back he after breaks being back broken. which is the highest of any player and uh that's amazing to be able to kind of push aside the negative thought of being broken and then just break back and he does it so well yeah, and I think you, you know, speaking of serving or being broken is one of the things I think that Nadal has improved so much in his game is his serve just over, you know, the years. Back in the day when he was first winning French Opens, he had no serve. Mm. I think it's like first four or five French Opens, he's just sliding everything out, you know. Mm. He had a handful of serves. People knew where it was going and it was, it was not a strength. Um, his defense was just so good when he was younger and could run, you know, 80 miles in a match uh, that he could get away with just, like, throwing the ball in to start the point. Um, his serve has really become a weapon. Yeah, actually, in that point where I was talking about his right hand and his left hand, that was one of the things that Nadal had said is that's why his serve was never as strong as it could be because it was his non-dominant hand. And so he always struggled with, that's his touch hand, that's his, you know, grace hand. So he's trying to serve with that with power, and he just never had that ability to do that. Maybe the whip in the in the wrist might be hard on your non-dominant hand or something. Yeah. Well, I can just imagine serving left-handed how stupid I would look, <laughs> and how could I ever actually build that up to be great? You know, yeah. it seems impossible. So, again, to your point, so amazing that he overcame that, and I guess kudos to Uncle Tony, right? Yes. And, you know, I mean, being a, a diehard Roger fan, obviously there was many, many years when I, I just couldn't stand a doll because, you know, he was my competition. Now as they're getting older, I, I just kind of 
let all of that go. Yeah. I'm really just embracing the magic of what we're seeing. Well, I think they did too, right? I mean, the bromance is real. That's what I think helped too, is that I just realized like they love each other so much. So why would I not love them both equally? Um, Well, I shouldn't say equally, but I do love Rafa. And now I don't know why I just really want him to win 15 Roland Garros and pass Pete Sampras just on French opens. Oh my God. Because that would be hilarious, (laughs) I think. And then hopefully Roger can squeeze out one Wimbledon just so he could still be, stay you know, ahead. stay, stay ahead, ahead or be equal, you know. Um, but yeah. I, I really think that Nadal has at least two or three more French Opens in him. Yeah, and I got to admit, I was one of those many, many, many naysayers five years ago saying there's no way he can keep up his game because it is so physical. It, it does take so much effort. You know, there's no way he can keep going. And this is five years ago, and here we are with him winning a dozen now. And he's only 33. Yeah. Young enough, he could be playing at the top for a couple more years. Yeah, and even I mean, if he doesn't win the other ones, you feel like oh yeah, his confidence is so high here. And that's another thing about Nadal. We always talk about how hard he practices and how much he needs to have confidence in order to win. And we didn't feel confident with him coming into mm-hmm. uh, this French Open, but you know he himself, I'm sure, in his heart had so much confidence because he knew this was his home. This he is knew Rafa. this was five setter yeah. home. Good luck trying to beat me in five <laughs> sets, punks. <laughs> this is my dirt. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you might get lucky, you know, in a tiebreaker here or there, or yeah. break me once in a three setter somewhere. But yeah. you come in and try and beat me. Knowing you're going to have to play like this for five hours. And it just says so much about the power of confidence. Yeah. You know, to when you believe, when you know you can, when you've done it so many times, the level that Nadal has reached at the French Open to win 12, and then to think about Dominic Thiem not even winning one and not having any confidence that he can do it. Yeah. Just hope. You know what I see? I foresee in Dominique team's future, uh, Roger Federer number two in the sense, not that he's going to win 20 grand slams. <laughs> he might not even get two. In the sense that he's going to have years of think being the second best clay quarter, hmm. trying to beat Rafa and not being able to get over the hump in the, you know, maybe getting a Madrid or a Barcelona here or there as Roger has done over the years, but never getting it done. I mean, but you can say that about every name in the book because (laughs) as long as Nadal is... You can can say that everyone in the book is going to lose, but you can't say everyone in the book is going to be that, is going to get number two, constantly get to finals, dominate everyone else until you get to Rafa and all of a sudden you look human again. Yeah. Because team does play everyone else really, really well. Yeah. Roger... Even, I mean, he hasn't played uh, clay in years. Mm. He comes back, he makes a semifinal. Right. Pretty relatively easy, I, I dare I say. Um, these guys have, they're great, great clay court players. Even Djokovic, right? I mean, they're great. Those three have great games, and they're just not enough. Well, I do feel like Dami has a huge career ahead of him and he's going to keep learning and gaining from this experience. So hopefully he will have that breakthrough. We'll see. Yeah, We'll see. That would be really nice for him. Yeah. Uh, he's a good guy. And I know this isn't in our, in our notes, so you can cut me out. But uh, <laughs> that, that fun controversy with him, that poor guy, man, got kicked out of the press room. 
for Serena. Oh, that's right. That was a funny headline, you know, but he handled that well. So you're talking about, we should probably explain. Uh, oh, go ahead and explain. You're the Serena expert. Oh, well, I'm the Serena expert, but this happened to team. But uh, basically he was in the middle of his press conference and then Serena had just lost. So she comes in and she's like, I, I want to do it now or I'm leaving. And uh, so they scramble to clear the press room and they kick team out and they're like right <laughs> and they bring serena in world number and, four yeah and they put uh serena in um i mean they put team in another room and i guess he like kind of had a little bit a mini meltdown where he, was he was pretty like, upset yeah he was like well, this is a joke and uh it will you know if she could just get up and leave then why can't i um but i i liked how federer kind of made light of it and he said you know we laughed about it in the locker room i'm assuming that he was talking about we meaning him and Dominic Thiem. They were, Hopefully, because if it's not that way, then Then what sucks. happened, right? <laughs> but <laughs> we laughed about it, and it was really funny the way he said it in German, and it, it just made it feel a little bit better, like he knew that it wasn't that serious. He wasn't that offended. He was just like, this is just stupid, you know, kind of yeah. kind of vibe, which is cool. I actually think Team kept his cool throughout many situations. Yeah. I mean, even when he was playing in the semifinals with the weather. You know, he just, he had a really nice, cool head, level well, head. Yeah, well, let's just jump into that. So our second major highlight from Roland Garros would be Djokovic losing to Dominic Thiem. Yes, that was a fun match to watch. Uh, very frustrating. Um, for me, I could have done with less of the whining. After watching Roger... You're talking about and Novak Djokovic. Yeah, Roger yeah. and Rafa went through it in the morning. With you much know, higher wins. Yeah, they had the same situation, and they just played like two pros. Actually, worse situation, yeah. Yeah, you didn't see them complaining. They were just doing their thing, and then, I don't know, just it's just weird how Djokovic is so... Um, I don't know the proper word to say because I don't want to be offensive. I like Djokovic, um, and he's a, he's a good dude, and he's obviously probably going to go down as the greatest player that's played the game but it's weird how fragile he gets mentally in certain situations that are out of his control yeah it's it's weird to just watch him like freak out like how he would he used to retire right in the big, like in the 10 years ago right. so you feel like that seed is still kind of there in yeah, him maybe. like sometimes he just if things aren't going his way he just like and eh, like has a an attitude and maybe it's just a bad day man i have him all the time so i can't judge <laughs> um it's just weird when you're like you're in the semifinal, like i don't know all eyes are on you and to be honest he actually is a really really good role model so like seeing him have these moments is very shocking yeah he said this was one of the worst conditions i've ever played with let's listen to him talk about this yeah i mean obviously when you're playing in the hurricane kind of conditions you know it's it's hard to perform your best you know it's really just kind of surviving in these kind of conditions and trying to to hold your serve and and play you know one ball more than your opponent in the in the court. That's what it felt like playing yesterday, to be honest. And uh, it is what it is, you know. Uh, I, I've, you know, I played uh, great tennis. I think uh, throughout most of the clay court season, and here I didn't drop a set till semis. And as I said, you know, look, playing against Dominic, uh, cannot expect, uh, you know, you know, always hoping that you can win and win in straight sets. But you know, it's highly likely that it's going to be close match as it was. And as I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to point out and some reasons or find excuses for this loss. I mean, he, he, he took it, he won it, and well done to it him. It reminds me, um, what they they asked Roger 
similar thing on what it was like to play in these conditions. Right. And he, he said, you know, it sucks for everyone. No one's good at it. No one wants it. I like how he said, it's not a matter of like playing well or not. You're just trying to hit the ball and not look ridiculous. Yes. Was a great quote. Yeah, exactly. But see, I'm, that's the thing is like maybe Djokovic really didn't want to look ridiculous. I saw a couple, Djokovic and Roger and Rafa in the final with whiffs. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> completely missing the ball or shanking. Yeah. Uh, there were so many. There was one shot where Rafa had a winning point with the volley down the line and it looked perfect with the slice. It was going in and you literally saw the wind pick up the ball in the air and move it out yeah. and it went out. So how frustrating is that? Yeah, it must be. It must be really hard. That was what kind of made the match kind of hard for me to watch. Other than that, I actually found it really fascinating watching them try to pl not only play each other in this huge moment of their career, but um, also battle the externals, you know. Yeah, and then the time and the rain as well because they had actually been on match for 24 hours. I mean, yeah. they had stopped two times, I believe, because of rain delay. And second time, I think Djokovic was down uh, 1-3 and you could just tell he was salivating to get off the court. Oh, the second the break. rain came, he grabbed his stuff and he ran out of there so fast. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the second rain delay or maybe there was a third... They, it didn't even rain. There was like three hours of like right. sunny weather after. Right, it was and blue it was skies. Like, why didn't yeah. they continue playing? Right, because they said it's coming or something. Yeah, right? so they, but then it never came. Right, and then they put him back on the court. I don't know. Uh, it, it was weird because there was rumors I had heard that Djokovic had just left. Like he didn't even wait for someone to say like it's over. He just left. But then uh, every, to my knowledge, team did uh, confirm that that is not what happened. He also agreed that he, you know, to go home and that everybody was kosher. Because for a second I was thinking, I was getting a little mad at Djokovic, but apparently, you know, everything's cool. <laughs> they both agreed that they would rather go back the next day and play. Yeah, it got kind of testy there. And, and definitely Novak was kind of showing a lot of attitude to the supervisor and... You know, the umpire was talking about umbrellas flying and uh, kind of... He said, like, have you ever even played tennis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess people just kind of lose it in that situation. But to kind of put it in context, he was feeling so much pressure, yes, right? Yes. I mean, this was so important to him. You know he wanted to beat Rafa. Yes. And this would have also given him the second career Grand Slam, right? Yeah. Uh, which should have really kind of cemented his greatness. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think he really needs that to cement his greatness. But, of course, you know, they want that because that is such a hard feat. No one's ever done it before besides Rod Laver, I think. Rod Laver, yes, exactly. I, I feel like it's more important to Djokovic because people just don't keep him in the conversation of who is the greatest. When they talk about the GOAT, they only talk about Roger and Rafa. There is a, a crowd of people talking about Djokovic as the greatest because, I mean, his stats kind of prove it, that's for sure. But even Kyrgios in his terrible <laughs> podcast said Novak will never be the greatest, you know. Yeah. Not that we should me, listen to it him. It made me like Kyrgios a little bit better. <laughs> Not because he said that about Djokovic, but just because he said Roger's the greatest. Yeah. And anyone who says that has my vote. 
Well, I thought it was really interesting coming from him because he's played them all. Yeah. And he knows what it feels like to play them and he knows the game that they're playing, not just like us observers watching, but he's felt their game. True. And that's a different perspective. True. I think though he's also human and he goes off of personality a little bit more. And, and I think he has something. He has some slight, not beef, but like... He, d- he doesn't really like Djokovic that much. In fact, mm. I think he said he really wants to play him and beat him and then use his after a match win celebration where he throws the love to oh. the crowd. He's like, he, I think that would be so awesome like to just beat him oh and then gosh. do that. Um, but I don't hear him he's say he's such he wants a contrarian. To do that. I know. He's, you know, say what you want about him, but he's definitely a unique character. So Djokovic lost in four hours and 13 minutes, and it was, I wouldn't call it an epic, but I think it was uh, a battle of wills, a battle of patience, a battle of, and sometimes that's what tennis is all about, right? Just can you stay calm? Can you stay in the moment? And as I said before, I really felt like Dominic was the better player. He deserved to win. He played with more aggression. He committed to shots. He was really in strategy and stayed calm. I felt like he wasn't complaining. So Yeah, and I think if memory serves, team was up a break, like I think in the fifth set, and served for the match at 5-4. That's right. And got broken back and then still was able to hold it together. Yeah. And that was just another thing where I was just really impressed with his ability to shut out the chatter in his head. Yeah, that was a dramatic ending. I mean, it really felt like, oh, this is over, 5-4, he's going to serve it out. And then he went down, love 30, I think. And uh, wow, that was really... Yeah, and once Djokovic broke back, you thought like, well, this here we it. go, this, this is, is it. it. This is like what it, he does. Yeah. Yeah. And so for team to sw- switch that again was pretty shocking. And, and then, and I felt like the next game, Djokovic made two like impossibly bad errors. Yeah. And it was just so strange. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it could be those nerves again, trying to get another slam, you know. Yeah. And the wind. But uh, it was so strange. I felt like he was really on, Djokovic was really on for a couple of games and would just be the, you know, the world number one that we knew him to be. And and then he would kind of fall apart. And I don't feel like it was just like wind and conditions. I felt like mentally... He was just struggling with himself. Yeah. Most likely. <laughs> Not that I really know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this was one of my favorite matches of the tournament. But my favorite match of the tournament over this one, there's only one that was better. And I bet you can guess which one that was. It has to be Stan the Man against the Greek. Yes. <laughs> our, our new up-and-comer, Mr. Tsitsipas. Yes. Uh, that was an awesome match and Beautiful one-handed tennis. <laughs> so that takes us right into highlight number three of Roland Garros, which definitely was Stefano Tsitsipas against Stan Marwinka. I felt like this was the match of the tournament. I, I enjoyed this more than any other match because I felt like the level was so high. They were bringing it. They were going at it. And honestly, I felt like it could have gone either way. Yeah. It really could have. It was so close. Ended up being five hours long. This match, incredible. <laughs> it was Must it have been the longest good. match. I think probably the longest match in the tournament, not including you know the rain delays and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But to actually have played straight for five hours was so incredible. 
Yeah, it was awesome. I'm pretty sure it was on a day I didn't have to work. Mm. And I was able to watch the whole thing, which mm. is amazing. Because that's the only downside for this tournament. People in the United States with the time, you know, waking up at 2.30 in the morning, <laughs> trying to watch as much tennis and stay awake before, and then go to work. And half the tournament is on while I'm working, so I, I just can't really watch it. Um, and then I get home and try and watch some highlights. But I really just want to go to bed so that I can wake up at 2 a.m. again. <laughs> But yeah, I was really happy that that I could watch this match live. And I felt thing. like it was the return of Stan, right? Oh Which yeah, was super exciting that he had come back from injury and now he was playing Grand Slam tennis again, which you know he can, being a winner of three. It was not only at this match, but you felt like him against Dimitrov also oh, yeah. was really, was really. Even though Stan won that fairly easily in three sets, they were all tiebreak sets. As well with Sitsipas, I felt like every set was tough. First one was a tiebreak. Second one, uh, Stefanos won 7-5, 6-4. So there was no kind of lapse where someone wins a bagel. You know how that happens? Yeah. It's like, you know, 7-5, seven, 7-5, five, seven, five, then bagel. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. You know. That actually happens probably more frequently than not. Probably, yeah. But not in this match. I felt like both Stan and Stefanos were really going at it giving it their all in every point really was just so close. And my favorite thing about them is their style of tennis is very strong. It's power tennis. It's also very graceful and beautiful. Like it's a good balance of power and grace, but also like they are aggressive and they're trying to rip winners. Like we're not, even though there was like 20, 30 shot rallies, we're not talking about two people who are just defenders. Yeah. You know, they're ripping and trying to hit winners and going up the line and everything. Um, they're just a testament to how good their defense is that yes. they were able to turn these amazing offensive shots into long rallies. Yeah, and the the match point win is something that everyone has to watch because it's just stunning how Warwinka used his one-handed backhand and he hit, it wasn't like a flat winner like he usually does down the line, but he actually sliced it and it was almost Rafa-esque because it had a banana feel yeah. to it <laughs> where it kind of carved around the net and it kind of uh, outside into the doubles area and Sitsipas came in and he was going to try to volley it, but it was so close to the singles line that it passed him and it hit. And and Sissipas immediately, I remember, like made a mark in, uh-huh. in the clay saying, oh, it's out, it's out, it's way out, you know. And then the umpire had to come down and confirm it, and that was it, match point. Yes, but I definitely, I mean, we learned a lot about Sissipas in this match, not only just the way he handled the, ma- the match point that you just talked about by saying, yes, the ref was right and it was in, um, and just living in acceptance of reality, right? Yeah. But the devastation, I mean, that press conference was the cutest and saddest like press conference I've ever seen. Maybe maybe Osaka has only ever dazzled me that much. You're talking about Stefanos' Stefanos Tsitsipas press, yeah. uh, press conference. Like the dis- I just honestly think, and if, it's, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be really disappointed, but I really think he's going to be the next one to win multiple slams of all the next-gen players. He believes and wants it so bad and takes it so seriously and works so hard, and he has the game and the talent. So that kind of, that press conference really made me believe. I, I bought in. I was like, wow, like, you know, um, you can't be great 
if you don't have that kind of devastation. Yeah, the, the high highs and the low lows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he really showed his grit in that match. I felt like, like I said, it could have gone either way. I think, what was the final in the tie break at the end? It was 8-6. Yeah, so it really was very, very close all the way. So kudos to Stefanos, even though he lost, it really showed that he's really coming of age and he's so still so young which is incredible. Yes. And welcome back, Stan, because we're so glad he's back, so glad he's playing this high level of tennis and he's back in the game. Yes, for sure. And hopefully uh, you'll play us some Sitsipas. Yeah, let's listen to that. Yeah, because okay. I'd, lo- I'd love for everyone to hear, you know, you, can, <laughs> his, you don't even have to see moping. his face. You can just hear it, the yeah. desperation in his voice. All right, let's listen to that. I was so close, so close. I gave him, I gave him room to, to do whatever he likes, on those breakpoints, so many breakpoints, so many. Didn't play. I was expecting, I don't know, someone else to play it for me. I didn't play. It's the worst feeling ever, especially when you lose. You don't want to be in my place. And that's going to do it for part one of our Roland Garros Top 10 Highlights. Be on the lookout for part two, including highlights of Anisimova's incredible run, Osaka's early loss, Serena falling to Sofia Kennan, and Siniakova's arrival on the scene, and so much more. Yes, couldn't agree more. Let's give a big shout out to our sponsor, Tennis Pal. Go download their tennis app today and find people to play tennis with in your area. You can visit TennisPalApp.com. It's available on iPhone, Apple, and Android. And check out some of the great additional Roland Garros content they provide from writers like Kylie Klotzbach and Marco Amaro. Download the app on the website, tennispal.com. And most of all, thanks for listening and supporting our passion for tennis. And if you like what we're doing, we would really appreciate sharing the podcast with friends and a review on the iTunes website, which will help us share this podcast with new listeners. May all your serves be Be aces. aces.